What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a very special edition of Wavelengths. We have our first ever guest, and no one better than UFC legend Dean Thomas. I appreciate you doing this, sir. How are you today? I'm great, man. How are you? I'm not doing too bad. We were just talking about this, and I agree with you totally. The UFC and combat sports in general has really grown in the past even three years really it's grown into such a major player in the sports market and obviously with covid last year it was all we had for a while so how do you feel about the this notion that it's not one of the four major sports i think that is ridiculous you know i've been doing this since before it was called mma since like the mid 90s and I've watched this sport grow from nothing. And I've always been a bit skeptical about where the direction that it's going. But right now, it's, it's as high as it's ever been. Higher. So, like, I can't, you know, right now, if you were to ask me, I, you know, it's the fourth major sport in the country. You know, there's football, obviously. Then there's basketball then baseball, and then MMA, because I can't think of another sport that is more popular or more appealing than MMA other than those three sports. And MMA is right on the heels of baseball. That's what I think. Now, and the reason why I can say this is because I do a sports talk show. And trust me, that's what's up. You know, that's MMA is right up there with the rest of them. So I don't care what anybody says. I'm sticking to my story. And I think the reason for MMA's popularity, besides when it all comes down, it's all said and done, we all really enjoy watching people beat each other up. But besides that, uh, with the pandemic last year, that's what we had. The UFC, they're not, they're very for the fans, by the fans. Dana White, the president of the company, obviously, he's just one of us, but he just gets paid to put these fights together. These, the, knockout highlights it's not restricted like mlb highlights it's where you want it to be it's so easily consumable and the fact that in a world that we all want to be apart from each other for whatever reason mma big pay-per-views is an event you want to go hang out with your friends you want to watch these things together and it really can bring people together unlike you know a regular nba game on a tuesday well, yeah, for sure. And because, and here's some of the reasons why, it's like, it's very relatable. Like, a fist fight is relatable. And people are always going to want to see it, which is the reason why, you know, even Triller exists now. It's because, like, it's, it's a portion of what MMA is about. People want to see who would win in a fist fight between certain guys. But MMA is a lot harder, so this is why you won't see you know, Ocho Cinco do, you know, MMA. He'll, he'll, he can put on gloves and do that, but he couldn't do MMA because it's, you know, it's a little harder for him to learn. But at the end of the day, MMA, it's so relatable to people because everybody has wanted to punch their boss in the face at some point. Everybody has wanted to punch their father-in-law in the face at some point. And you get to live vicariously through these athletes in MMA and see it done. And then you become, then you become attracted to it. Then you go, all right, who, who would win in a fight between this guy and that guy? And we get to see it. And, you know, the appeal of that is just so strong. And 
people can just, people just grab onto it. They just love it. So like, you know, and I, I think Forrest Griffin said it best. <laughs> and and I'm gonna kind of paraphrase para- paraphrase him a bit. He was saying something about, you know, other sports when they get mad then they fight. We cut out the middle man. <laughs> we just fight. So like that's really what it comes down to. So this is the first question I want to ask you, kind of off that. If weight classes weren't a thing in the UFC, what is your dream fight? Oh, wow. Um, I would definitely want to fight out of my weight class. Now, does it have to be, does it have to be somebody current? It can, or... be, it can be someone from when you started to now, any, any two combinations, any weight class. You know, I always, this is weird, but I've always kind of wanted to fight Dan Severn. I remember a time where I really wanted to fight Dan Severn. And, you know, he was obviously, you know, a fighter from like the 90s or whatever. But, you know, for whatever reason, I always wanted to prove that as a smaller person, I could have beat him. And I never got a chance to do that. But I don't, you know, I would, I would certainly fight out of my weight class for sure. That's something I would definitely do. But Dan Severn would be my answer. <laughs> is there a fight between two current fighters? Now, so mine, I would say John Jones versus Khabib, just because I think mm-hmm. that would be a fascinating matchup. So we'll include Khabib because he recently retired a couple months ago. Is there two fighters that are currently fighting that no weight classes you would love to see go at it? Um... I would say Brian Ortega and honestly, Brian Ortega and Khabib, to be honest, like I would love to see, I would love to see Brian Ortega fight almost anybody a little bit bigger than him, because I think he has, I think he has a style to beat a lot of bigger people and other people don't like it because his jujitsu is so good. I think he has a style to beat a lot of bigger people. Uh, Same thing goes with, Ryan Hall, but Brian Ortega is a little bit more experienced, a little bit better. So I'm going to go ahead and put Brian Ortega up there to fight Khabib. It will be my dream matchup. Speaking of jiu-jitsu, you are a third-degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, 26-9 and nine career record. What sparked your interest in fighting? Well, um, again, so as I talked about earlier, you know, everybody can relate to a fist fight. And at some point you always wanted, you know, there was a point where you wanted to punch somebody in the face. And we all did. I never wanted to be that guy to get punched in the face. So when MMA came around, I was like, or, or it was, you know, we called it uh, no holes barred back in the day. When that came around, I was like, I got to learn how to do this because if someone tries to punch me in my face, I don't want to get beat up in the street. Like that's like a night, that's a nightmare of mine is like getting knocked out in the middle of the street and then just being left there and people laughing and taking pictures of me and yelling world star. So like, I never, I never want that to happen to me. So it, it was just simply the fear of you wanted to be the one dishing it out instead of the one receiving it. Not even dishing it out. I just don't want it to happen to me. Like I don't, you know, I, I'm, I don't care about dishing it out as much as I do just being able to defend myself. You know, if I, but like dishing it out is one of the easier ways to defend yourself. But so like that obviously plays a factor, but like, I just don't want to get beat up. Talking about pain and being beaten up in a win or loss. Is there a fight in particular of yours? You remember where you felt the most pain? 
the most pain. Um, Kenny, Kenny Florian, when I fought Kenny Florian, that was pretty painful because I tore my knee, so like I was in pain from that. Um, but I, I would say the most pain I've I felt in a fight was okay. So there's two of them. I'd say Fabiano Iha at UFC 33. I remember being in that fight, like my mouth was so cut up from getting punched and like biting my tongue and like my lips, like my mouth was hurting from being cut up and bleeding so much. And then against uh, Josh Near. He was elbowing me in the head so bad that I remember like my eye was bleeding and I was just like, my head was hurt and my leg was hurt from him kicking me in the, in the damn shin that I was like, man, I can't wait till this fight is over. So those are the only time, like, you know, you don't really get hurt from like punches and stuff like that, but it's like things on the body end up hurting, like just, but not like getting punched in the face that does that not really hurt, but like getting cut open and it starts to throb a little bit. I'm curious. So obviously being a black belt in jujitsu, you've had to train and spar for a very long time. Is there like a learning curve with certain pains that from that age, you know, it affects you then, but then as you get older, it's just, you know, comes with the territory, but then you start to feel it when you get older or does it just always hurt? No, I mean, it gets worse when you get older. So, you know, when you're young, it's, it's almost like when you're young, you deal with pain. Um, you got to learn how to deal with pain and you become kind of used to it. And then it goes away because you're young and your body just heals itself faster. Then when you get older, it never, it, it takes longer to go away. And then when you're my age, you don't even have to do anything and it still hurts. <laughs> so like, that's where, that's where I'm at right now. Like waking, like if I'm sitting down too long and then when I stand up, it's like, uh... <laughs> terrible. Like- you started in the UFC in 2001. That's around the time Dana White took over as president. Obviously, now you work with them on looking for a fight. To me, if we had Dana White's running all of the sports, they would be way better off. He's one of my favorite people in general, but of presidents and in other sports commissioners, he's by far the best. What's he like? Like, what's he like as a boss? Well, he keeps it real. That's one thing you can all, and that's, and I think that's why Dana is so popular and well liked because he keeps it real. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't craft these, you know, PR responses when something happens, and then, you know, to to make it sound right, and just he doesn't do that. And like, we all know, like when something when something bad happens, and then you know the commissioner or whoever steps on the podium. We all know that they're reading something that somebody else wrote. And this is, sometimes it's the right thing to say, you know. But Dana has a way of, because he's a good guy. This is one thing about him. He is a good guy. He has a way of sending his message out and keeping it real. And he'll curse and he'll say everything that makes you say, like he's like that dude at the bar. But he keeps it real. And people like that about him. So in person... He's still like that. He keeps it real and he treats everybody the same. Like he'll talk to me the same way he talks to you, the same way he talks to Donald Trump, the same way he talks to everybody. He talks to everybody the same way. And, and he's also a very nice guy. Like people don't understand that about him because he's a nice, caring guy. So, um, 
So the only thing that, like, you know, a lot of people give him a bad rap, but he is a really nice, caring guy who cares about, like, the fighters and stuff, so. You're, you're talking about uh, media responses with Dana White. Two perfect examples. The very publicized beef with Bob Arum of Top Rank Boxing, which I think Dana was on the right side of, absolutely. And recently, the one Las Vegas paper that ridiculed him for something when they put on shows during the pandemic, they didn't cut any jobs, and they still, you know, tried to criticize him for just, you know, returning to normal life. So I appreciate the unfiltered nature of him. And it's just, it's, he's a perfect guy for this sport, I think. And I don't think that there's anybody who could do a better job. Yeah, because it's, it, it takes a, it takes a rebel, you know, and someone and a renegade to really lead this charge and lead this type of sport. You know, could you imagine like if it was, I don't know, if, if it was a guy like Bill Gates or something, I mean, they would have, you know, like they wouldn't, it wouldn't have kept going. And, you know, during the pandemic, while, and I felt bad about this, honestly, I really did. Like during the pandemic, you know, a lot of our friends were out of work and trying to get, you know, their, their, stim, their checks, their, week, their weekly checks and everything. And I did better <laughs> during the pandemic than I ever have in my career because Dana kept the show going. He kept it rolling. And I can tell you a lot of other fighters who said the same thing. When the pandemic hit, they made the most money and had the best career that they've ever had during the pandemic because Dana kept it going. So say what you want about the man, but I pay, I was still able to pay my rent. We're talking about the pandemic and obviously how UFC had to adapt with the times. The biggest thing that came out of it, a lot of fights out of the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, the smaller octagon. I'm curious what you, you've obviously fought in the UFC. I'm curious what you think about the smaller octagon, because as a fan, the more finishes, a little more knockouts, it's very fun to watch. But as a fighter, would it be something that you're totally not prepared for? No, I, I think most fighters should be prepared for that because – where most fighters, I mean, you got to think, you know, we're still in a day and age where like most fighters train in a camp and everybody spars at the same time. So it's not like you're, they're used to a lot of room. Mm -hmm. Most fighters aren't used to having a lot of room around them anyway. In fact, they're probably more used to having other bodies sparring around them and watching out for them. So when they get inside that, that large cage, in fact, it can be a little overwhelming and a little different from what they're used to because they're used to like having to look around and make sure that no one's around. But um, the smaller cage, I do, I do like that one better. I like the fact that they, they get it, they, they make contact faster. And so it's easier to catch up to the other guy and the fence is right there. So it does take away some of the movement, some of the running, but it gets the action going a little bit faster. And then, you know, fighters have to be on top of their P's and Q's faster. And I think that's better for the audience. I'm not sure how closely you follow boxing, but Canelo Alvarez is fighting this Saturday night. And mm -hmm. there's a big dispute with the ring size. Uh, his opponent Saunders wants it the regular size and Canelo's camp maybe a little smaller. But I think that the reason why in the UFC the smaller octagon works so well is that you can't run, like you said. You know, the bell rings and you have to fight. You can't, there's less room to run around and potentially hide, which is what a lot of people casual boxing fans complain about because you saw it especially with the Floyd Mayweather Manny Pacquiao super fight 
they just hugged each other for, you know, half of the time. In UFC, you can't really do that. And especially in the smaller octagon, you got to go and you got to go get it. Yeah, and like that's – and but, but you know, but that's where it comes down to skills. And, you know, the reality is, is – I mean, footwork is a skill. Don't get me wrong on that. But, you know, it's, it's an aspect – footwork is an aspect of offense and defense. Um, but defense – but it's not defense. So when you take away someone's ability to move using their feet, they're forced to use the defensive skills that they – carry with on their person and a lot of people don't have it so if you look at a lot of fighters and they move so much they're just avoiding defense they're avoiding it they're avoiding having to defend themselves by just keeping space so when you take that away by using a smaller cage you force them to either use good defense or get beat up that's the choice you either use good defense or get beat up and most fighters don't have it. you have been a longtime coach in MMA, what is for you your favorite part about that aspect? Um, you know, just watching fighters grow and get better. You know, that's why I do this. And that's just to watch them grow, get better and achieve their goals. I have no ulterior motive in the game. And I so, <laughs> trust me, I, I remind them, the people that I still work with, I remind them all the time. But I have no ulterior motive. I'm not doing this really for me I'm doing this because like I work with fighters because I got help when I was coming up I got help and every fighter needs help all of them they all need help they need guidance they need help and I'm in a position to give that so I want to make sure that I give it back to them you know the ones that I want to work with and I do and uh it is very rewarding for me to watch them succeed or watch them go through their journey like whether they're winning or losing, watch them go through their journey and watch them go through the emotions and watch them struggle and battle through and then come out on top. I mean, that's very uh, rewarding to watch from my perspective and my view that I'm able to capture it from. With part of the coaching, are you ever uh, cage side or are you just more training camp? I'm, I'm pretty much like, so the people I do work with, I'm, more likely to be cage side with them. Um, sometimes I can if I have other obligations, but I don't really. I I can do both, you know. Like some some of the fighters I work with, like I haven't been able to go to their to their fights with them. But you know, the work the real work is done in the gym. The real work is done in the gym. The rest of it it just makes them a little bit more comfortable and confident in their ability to do it. But the real work is done in the gym. And if you think otherwise, then you didn't do the real work. Actually, that, that sparked a new question for me. When these fights, and this was very prominent during the Ronda Rousey, era, Ronda Rousey era, when she would finish fights in 15 seconds, what do you have to say to fans that pay the amount of money that they pay for these fights, and then they complain because it's a first-round knockout within five minutes? <laughs> Ronda did the work. <laughs> So that's, what, part what, of it, that's part of the game. What I don't get about that is that a lot of times when people say that and do that, they're just casual fans, but they don't realize that there's so much time and effort put into like the undercard and even then the main card in the lower fights that, you know, they need oh, their spotlight yeah. too. So it's not fair yeah. to just say you paid $60 for Ronda Rousey then and then, you know, just discredit all the other people that worked equally as hard. They may not have the name yet, but 
it's a disservice to them. Well, I think that's the one thing the UFC has done uh, more so than boxing. Like you, and you just said it right now. You said Canelo Alvarez is fighting Billy Joe Sanders, and like that's the fight. But there are also other fights on that card, but but you don't know about them. I think the UFC has done a really good job of promoting other fights on cards. You know, like the whole main event is, or not the whole main event, but the whole main card is really the draw to a UFC event. You know, the rest is like to sell that main card. But that main card is really the draw. So like, you know, there's been times where I fell asleep before the main event, but it was happy because I saw the first two fights. You know, so like you, you're going to get your money's worth when you, by watching the rest of the card of the UFC event. But when it comes to boxing, like everybody just shows up for the main event. I brought it up before looking for a fight. You also host Dean Diaries on the UFC's YouTube channel. What's your favorite part about doing looking for a fight with Dana? Uh, just the fun we have. You know, we have good chemistry together, me, Dana, and Matt. And then the crew that we work with is great. Um, like everybody's great. You know, the crew, Dana and them, the places we go. And then we just have, you know, Dana lives a, a lifestyle where he's he's very carefree and he does what he wants. So it's like good to be around that because um, it's very inspiring. And, you know, now I have a goal like some like the way I want to live my life. But um, but, you know, just hanging out with the guys, it's just really fun. And uh, and then and it shows when we when they film it. So I think that everybody enjoys it. And that's because Matt Sarah always says we're having fun the audience will have fun. So let's make sure we have fun. So like, that's kind of the way we approach it. And I think it works. Doing that show, what, does it have any effect on your coaching? Because you see these guys that are kind of still raw. Are you in the back of your head thinking, you know, if I got a chance to work with him or her, I would help them with this? Or does that not really come up because you're just trying to find the best raw prospect? No, no. I, I don't look for prospects. I always... I'm always like, yeah, man, if I work with this person and, and because it helps me because it helps me to identify what I think people need. So like when I see a fighter, I'll even go up to that fighter, be like, Hey man, you should work on this, work on this, work on that, you know, try this, try that. Um, because like I, and that was one of the reasons why I left the, the team I was with because I wanted to be able to work with everybody if I need, if I wanted to and not be this um, exclusive to one team. So, and now I have the luxury to work with whoever I want to work with, which is not really a lot of people, but I'm willing to help almost anybody, like give anybody a little tip, which I couldn't do before. So, Speaking of prospects, is there a men or women's fighter that we don't know today, but two, three years down the line will be a household UFC name? Oh, man, that's such a good question, but it's such a hard question because the person in the gym who you think is going to be the next big thing never turns out to be the next big thing. It's almost like, you know, the, the number one draft pick in the NFL never ends up being any good. And that's kind of the same way um, MMA is in terms of which, when you think somebody's going to be a prospect. And then, so it's, it's really hard to say, but I will say this though, um, Matt, and, and I'm saying this because I trust Matt Sarah and I trust like what Matt Sarah does with his guys. I think, there's no coach on the planet who, who gets more out of their guys than Matt Sarah does. Like Matt Sarah, like, takes average athletes, makes them hard as nails, and gets the most out of them, and he's won championships, and he's fought championships from that. Like, Chris Weidman won championships from that. Alain Quinta fought a championship from that. Matt won a championship from that. 
but he's got a guy by the by the name of Pumi over there that everybody's really high on. Um, so he he's somebody to look out for at 125. Little, I think he's like from Africa or something, and his name is Pumi. So be on the lookout for this young kid. Talking about you said, brought up little fighter, little in size, but one of the bigger stars, yeah, bigger stars I would say in and out of the octagon. Sean O'Malley, does he interest you at all? Because I I have a couple of questions I wanted to ask you about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like you know I've always liked Sean O'Malley and I respect his his game. I think he's a he's a wonderful fighter. I think he's a very skilled fighter. He's learning. He's getting better. He did some stuff last year that I don't agree with. That kind of you know left a you know I don't I didn't agree with it. He says some things I didn't agree with, but listen, that's got nothing to do with his ability to fight the kick and fight. And um, I think he he can definitely go places in time. So I think Sean O'Malley has a really bright future ahead of him as long as he doesn't get himself in trouble. I think it's very interesting because he's won a lot of fights, but then everybody brings up the counterpoint of he hasn't really fought anybody big yet. So do you think that he's being saved for down the line? Or do you think that he's still trying to prove himself so then when he gets put into these big fights, it's because he deserves it, not because that's what the fans want? Well, it's not about him proving himself. It's about him getting better. So he's getting he's getting these fights. So it's giving him an opportunity to grow up. You know, like if you want to put it, like how many fights does he have compared to how many fights uh, – Cody Garbrandt has, you know, like I know he, he talked about fighting, but Cody Garbrandt has been in the league a longer time and has more fights, has more experience. So like, you know, he don't really have a lot of experience. He, he could get better. He's still young and he could get better. So, but the only way to truly get better is by fighting and getting that fight experience and learning how to deal with adversity and learning how to make decisions in real time. So he's getting better. And I think that's really what the UFC is doing. And they're just giving him an opportunity. more of an opportunity to get better you bring up learning an opportunity if you were talking to a parent of let's say an eight to 12 year old kid what are some mma misconceptions that you want to prove are not true so that they could possibly get into the sport well one you know one misconception is is that like it's you you get beat up doing it like that's not necessarily the case like you don't have to get beat up going like there's many different reasons i've ran schools for many many years there's many different reasons why people train some of them train to get in shape some of them train for self-defense some of them train for the camaraderie some of them train for the sport aspect there's a lot of different reasons that you can train for but when you watch it on tv you're watching the competition at the highest level so when you see stuff like you know chris weidman and what just happened to him and you see guys get knocked out you're like oh my god you watch the Joanna J. Chechek and Willie John fight you're like oh my god I would never do this but it's a reality this is the highest level and these are the best athletes on the planet that do the sport doing it so like that's what you're watching but the reality is to learn it is not doesn't have to be like that and then to even practice it at the level that you want to practice it doesn't have to be as as intense you can practice it at any intensity you want yeah i think the same can be said about any sport really because you know there could be a better chance that you get a concussion well there definitely is a better chance you get a concussion in football than just by sparring you know at a local gym 
but I think that what you said was a perfect point that whatever, if you do it for self-defense or you do it so, you know, just something to do and get some good exercise, I think that it's a perfect sport for kids. And then the same reason you picked it up, you just wanted to defend yourself. So, you know, not everybody's going to become the next Conor McGregor, Khabib, but, you know, they'll be able to de defend themselves, stay in shape and learn some new skills, probably learn some things that they never would have and meet some people that they probably wouldn't have and might know the rest of their life. Oh, absolutely.